Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and I was born and raised in the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in Phoenix, Arizona. I started this podcast with several intentions in mind, and I read them at the beginning of every episode. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural misappropriation, exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other support therapy as needed, to draw your own conclusions, and to be critical thinkers rather than just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. So I want to say it is awesome and wonderful to be back. It has been several months since my last episode, which I believe was in the middle of September. And that episode was quite a doozy, ladies and gentlemen. I talked about white supremacy. I talked about the spiritual white woman persona as both a predator in our community and in the world, as well as prey in our community. And I talked a lot about white silence and other forms of white supremacy, like white apathy, white uh, colorism, don't, I don't see color, some of these concepts that really root us into layers and levels of white supremacy that because of our upbringing in 3HO, Kundalini Yoga, or perhaps because of your uh, decades spending time within this community, you might also be living the illusion that you were also taught to see 
no color. That white is so pure. White holds all the colors. So the teachings, as we know, are filled with all sorts of special mystical teachings around why we wear white, why we don't cut our hair, why we don't have bangs. We're going to cover that on today's episode, folks. We're going to talk about the big bang theory that YB the Predator gave to us. And that my last episode really helped to start piercing my own veils of false identification. So let's talk about 3HO identity. I want to share that the last episode I did was quite uncomfortable for many of you. I know this to be the case because I didn't get the same kind of feedback on that episode that I have on other episodes. I didn't even hear from my brothers, and I always hear from my brothers after the episodes. So I want to just acknowledge to all of you listening that having conversations, listening to conversations, and allowing yourself to question your own frame of things through the lens of white supremacy is hard as shit. It's not easy work to begin to question why we see the way we do, why we might not consider ourselves a racist, and how easy it is for us as white people to not have that conversation with ourselves or with other people, that we can avoid it. And the fact that we can avoid it is in itself white privilege. So my question for you is how did the last episode I did, I did on white silence, white supremacy, and the spiritual white woman, how did that land for you? Did you have opinions as to whether that was a good episode or not? Whether it was on track for the theme of 3HO, Kundalini Yoga, untold stories here? I know a lot of people had opinions that it was not a good idea for me to call out a guest from my last episode. And I just want to say that that is all a part of doing the work of dismantling white supremacy, is to feel that level of discomfort, to listen and to experience what happens inside of you when someone is called out, meaning a white woman who's actively using racist supremacist language when joining the 3HO community, joining the Espanola community, whatever the community is, there is an ongoing epidemic of spiritual white women appropriating culture as their own, appropriating names as their own, taking bits and pieces of ancient ways and creating a new identity for themselves around this. And I called it out because it's something that began to dismantle me tremendously. So the reason I've taken some time over the last few months is my identity here has really started to um, unravel to the point that I started to question my own sense of self. Who am I? Who have I been taught that I am? 
And having to ask myself these types of questions made me realize that I've always held a very strong identity in the realm of, quote, other. I was an other. And I have a feeling that many of us that grew up in 3HO, that we all have experienced this to some extent, because we were ourselves a weird minority in mainstream America, wearing white turbans, not eating meat in the 70s and 80s, having all sorts of lifestyle habits that made us plain weird. And so we co-opted culture. And, you know, we didn't do this, right? YB and the other adults who were perpetuating this atmosphere, who genuinely, I think, thought they were doing the great thing, a right thing, choosing consciousness over kind of the mainstream American way. And we, those of us that were born into this community, were given an identity as our own. And so I very distinctly, from a very, very young age, remember having a deep sense of pride for our self, right? For who we are. If somebody asked why we wore that thing on our head, we would be like, it's a part of our religion, you know, and, and we were proud, you know, what's under there, they would ask. And we'd be like, that's our hair. And we were proud to not eat meat. And there were different elements of being proud, you know, when you're a child and you're growing up in, in a special way, you somehow get a sense of specialness. Yes? Different. We were different. We were othered, right? My brother has tons of stories of being chased home from school and getting his turban ripped off. And, you know, if you are a weirdo, right, it's different than mainstream America, you're put into this category of other. I grew up with a self-identity of other. From a very young age, I was aware of how few um, ethnic or black or uh, anybody of any other color were in our community. There was a handful of black people. I remember noticing that from a young age. Um, and asking myself, you know, if we have such a special wisdom and, and technology and, and teachings, why are we not more diverse? So these are the types of things you just kind of brush by and you do the best you can to, to ask about. But when I went to public school, I started to become more and more distinctly aware of our difference, right? And... My brothers and I talk about this as well. You know, our, my friends in public school were the foreigners, right? It was, I had a best friend in third grade who was from Taiwan and she barely spoke English. And my brother had, you know, a Chinese friend and, and, you know, we always had the other friends, uh, you know, the friends that didn't fit in as well. So I, I'm saying this to say that my identity was fully rooted in being an other. I was different. I identified more with others that felt like they were othered right? And this carried on through most of my life, right? There was a level of difference that permeated our identity. So it's a part of the area that makes me feel proud about the way I was raised. I felt like I had more of a worldview. I felt like I had a bigger perspective on, on culture and people and possibility in the world as opposed to just growing up in mainstream suburban America, so these were all ways and um, elements of feeding into my identity as other. And 
it didn't take too long in public school for me to make friends with Black and Mexican people and other cultures that weren't kind of typical and mainstream. And it was within Black culture that I realized that my body was beautiful and that I wasn't chubby. I wasn't overweight. I wasn't atypical. I wasn't the not standard of beauty. I realized from other culture, Black culture specifically, that I had a round, curvy, what they called thick body. And I'm 13 years old having an awakening that I'm perfect within the context of somebody else's culture. But within my culture, I didn't feel perfect. I felt overweight, I felt chubby, and I didn't fit into the white princess model that was being propagated within the 3HO Kundalini Yoga culture. Now, I was young, so I didn't really know it was actually being propagated, but you do. By 13, you do know. You do know if you fit the standard beauty of the culture in which you're raised, right? And I wasn't the thin, petite kind of essence of a woman that YB kept propagating as the standard of beauty, the princesses, right? The secretary beauty standard that we were all, you know, made to uphold. So, you know, quite quickly, I'm poking holes within my own culture and my own community to kind of see the good and the not so good. And, you know, this is early in my teens, but my sense of otherness very much got rooted in how I've identified and seen myself in the world my whole life. Instead of traveling to India, I moved to Africa. Um, I wanted to always go against the grain, and yet I also so loved so much about what I perceive to be the good and the beauty of our, our culture, our upbringing. So the episode that I did on the spiritual white woman just pulled a chord in me that related all the way back to all of the women that my dad, that my father seduced as the head of the ashram, the women whose lives he broke because of his lies and his deceit and his abuse, his manipulative, narcissistic abuse. And I know he's not the only one. He was following a male minister formula, the wise old man formula that's very much still alive in 3HO Kundalini Yoga communities today and in teacher trainings today. And it made me realize what disdain I had for spiritual white women. And that's a pretty hard reality to, to swallow because the truth, if I allow myself to see the truth, I am a spiritual white woman. So I started noticing this disdain I had for, say, the popularity of yoga, the popularity of other kind of spiritual fantasy lands that people play in. You know, fire spinning and shaman this and, you know, 
gathering together in sangha and, and chanting and all the things, you know, because my identity was very much rooted in a sense of OG spirituality. Like I'm an original. I was born in this stuff. I didn't just pick this up, you know, and I think others of us that were born in the community, there's this kind of vitriol or kind of like inner puking sensation for the kind of, you know, ditzy spiritual person that's, you know, learning to align their chakras, right? And we see that kind of stuff everywhere. And so our sense of identity is more like, ah, you know, we come from the real stuff, you know, we are born in this stuff. So I found that interesting. Um, you know, as if I had a, a, a one up on these folks. So I, I started realizing that was happening inside me. But the disdain interested me a lot because disdain comes from witnessing incongruency really early, right? To, to be told one thing and to witness behavior. So we're told to not have sex before marriage. And then we're witnessing married couples. We're witnessing uh, YB, the master, um, having obvious sexual infidelities um, in plain sight all around couples and other ashram leaders. And it was not a secret that there was a lot of infidelity in our, in our various communities. And yet plenty of people, plenty of adults, mind you, for decades have chosen to not see that plain ass reality. So I realized the disdain had a lot to do with the lies that my father had told, the women who had been hurt and abused from his deceit or YB's deceit or any of the other, you know, yoga teacher leaders that have abused and hurt so many young, naive yoga students coming into our community. And the sickness of married leadership in our community, sleeping with young, naive, trauma-induced in, trauma yoga students coming into our community, and then get seduced by them. And then when they get found out, historically, what would happen when that affair got found out, historically, what would have happened is why be the predator would marry her off, usually to an older man, a man twice her age, and someone she was not interested in, oftentimes a physical abuser. Now, I've known a couple of stories of that on my own. And as we've started to hear more and more other people's stories, we've learned that physical beating and abuse, that battery of women was not only quite common, it was actually covered up from community members, as well as by YB himself. Knowing what we know now about YB and how much he physically abused the women that took care of him, um, we can see that this is a very, very deeply rooted trauma and, and very sadistic when it comes to um, the areas of sex and pleasure and connection to commingle such physical abuse. So I started really feeling into this disdain and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have so much inner disdain for this spiritual white woman that co-ops culture. And 
because of this disdain, I've, I haven't, I shouldn't say that because of the disdain, because of my identity as other, that's better, because of my identity as other, I've never really related to that group of people. I didn't, I've never really related to the mainstream American white woman because I didn't really identify as a mainstream American white woman. And even though I cut my hair decades ago when I was in my 20s, I still have held a sense of very strong identity as other, right? So even though mainstream, I'm looking more mainstream and I fit in to the image, my sense of self-image and self-identity still is not mainstream, right? I've always felt myself out of the box. And again, an identification as different or other, right? I'm the exception. Okay, so I'm getting to the heart of this in that we got given an identity that's not a real identity. And it's a classic cult leader move. And yet to say that my identity is not mine is not real, right? I can't just say that's not a real identity because I am who I am. It wasn't my fault my parents joined this community and changed their name, right? I have to recreate my own sense of self within myself. But I have to admit and see myself clearly for what it is that I'm not willing to talk about or what I'm avoiding if I really want to see myself clearly. So the episode, the last one, poked holes in so much of my own narrative that have kept me standing in the world. And that narrative is, I'm different. I'm an exception, right? Because I was born into this community. And as if we have some sort of a one-up knowledge on folks, we got the special wisdom that's going to change humanity. And as much as a part of me knew that was false, I have to admit that much of my sense of everything has been built on that sense of exceptionalism. So let me explain a little bit more. <clears throat> There, um, okay, so examining, examining my disgust and disdain of the spiritual white woman, while at the same time realizing I am a spiritual white woman. I might have not identified as that prior, but I very much am that. You know, if somebody sees me, gets to know me, and they don't know my upbringing, I am in the category of the spiritual white woman. I have, for the last eight to 10 years, used language similar to my last guest, shadow work, shadow healing journey. I've been on a spiritual healing journey for the last number of years. When I woke up to cult abuse in my last business and my business collapsed and I realized I am somehow repeating something from my childhood upbringing around business corruption and manipulation and control and losing my family, I was confused. And yet it was also so familiar. 
And so I went on what I call an inward sojourn and started realizing that I had a lot of convoluted internal entanglement around sexuality and spirituality. And at this age, stage of my life, I thought I was pretty self-actualized. I thought I was pretty sexually liberated. You know, I had, you know, grown a business to a half a million annually, and I had already cut my hair and found a new identity as this sassy businesswoman and all the things. And I kept my own integrity. I kept a sense of myself and, and a sense of my own personality, and I was proud. So when that business collapsed, I ended up going internal and asking myself different questions and being willing to look at myself through different lenses and to notice what my body was actually feeling versus what I had been trained to think it was feeling and needed. And that was a long, many years of slowly unwinding. And so my last guest and a lot of her language hit me hard because I've been using that language for a long time. And yet, um, I make a stand for, for su white supremacy, right? I want to speak up and against co-opting culture um, <clears throat> for our own uses without acknowledging where it comes from and the history and the roots of the teachings from where they really belong, as opposed to believing the coagulated identity that we've been given. So, I started letting all these things kind of open me up and unravel me. And it, it really brought me into an existential crisis, questioning my own sense of value, my own sense of worth, my own sense of identity. Who am I? You know, and the pain of waking up to realizing that I haven't been connected to the culture of my origin. In the culture of my origin, my dad's side's Swedish and my mom's side's Jewish, Russian Jew. And my mom has a long history in Cleveland in her family, six, seven generations, generational wealth that was built. And my dad's side has many generations going back to Sweden and, you know, family farming and plenty of its own interesting racist history that's not often discussed, right? And my parents chose to kind of leave their cultures behind to join this special movement, right? In the Kundalini community and, and how that works. So the nature of white supremacy is that. It's that we aren't examining our own roots. We are going into indigenous, Indian, African, historical cultures, ancient cultures, and stealing the parts we want for our own benefit, and then calling it whatever we want. And this in and of itself is the roots of the identity I was born in. So I like to describe it like this. A classic cult move is to take real truth fragments of truth. So a little bit of the truth from here and from here, and from here, and from here, and all these different sources, and then put it together, what's called coagulate. We coagulate it together into this new form of identity, and then we're given this new identity on a platter saying, this is you. And what we're beginning to see in the tapestry of the Kundalini Yoga 3HO culture is that we've been given a very false identity that's very much rooted in white supremacy. And yet, 
it's coded over in this mystical, compassionate, white veil that gives us the illusion that it's a real identity and that it's a real culture and that it's a real lineage. And all of these things are proving to not be true. Um, that we have little bits of truth from random sections of the world and we've given ourselves a culture, even our names, you know, our names are quite offensive to Indian Sikh people because these aren't traditional Sikh names. The our pronunciation of the way that we speak certain things, you know, like all of these things are so deeply offensive and it's classic white supremacy. So <clears throat> I let myself get unraveled. I let myself get poked and prodded and completely dismantled in this space to examine the reality of why it is I, I don't identify as a white woman. And the reality is I am a white woman. I am of Caucasian descent. My experience has given me a broader perspective than the average white woman in America. My upbringing obviously has given me broader experience, but it does not change the fact that my lineage and history is of white culture and that I have a responsibility to do the best that I can to get honest with myself about who I am, who I've been trained to be, the difference between those two, and to start educating myself about what it is that I'm doing, that I'm living, that I'm saying, and that I'm thinking that is deeply offensive and rooted in white supremacy. So I hope you've been doing this level of self-examination and enjoying it in all of its pain and guts. I've been very, very silent because I've been in the interior of my own experience and letting myself feel all the layers of it. And I want to recall out to all of you the encouragement to buy the book, Me and White Supremacy. I still intend to do episodes on each of the different areas on this podcast or in some sort of a book club format or both. And last episode when I made that call, I maybe had three people reach out to me. So what that tells me is that as a spiritual community of 3HO, we are very, very, very hooked and um, dependent on our identity of white supremacy, whether or not we want to acknowledge it. So <clears throat> the first six days of the book, each day it covers a topic. So the first day is white privilege. The second day is white fragility. The third day is tone policing. The fourth day is white silence. The fifth day is white superiority. And the sixth day is white exceptionalism. Now, all of the days, and we're going to do all of the days. So once again, this is a call for you to get the book, Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad. <clears throat> 
But I want to talk about exceptionalism. And we're going to hear a clip here from Leila Saad on white exceptionalism, because I think white exceptionalism, I've been speaking about this for the last couple of months to various people, and I've had plenty of conscious, good, well-meaning white people stop me and say, I'm sorry, I've never heard that term. What's white exceptionalism? And that hit me too. Like, oh my gosh, we are such exceptionalists that we don't even know what white exceptionalism is. So our community, 3HO, is not the only community that... Um, specializes in white exceptionalism. There's lots of us that are white exceptionalists. We think that we are the exception to the rule. Oh, you know, I was raised different. My parents, blah, blah, blah. My brother's half black. I have a half, I have my father's black, whatever, right? The exceptionalism, all the reasons. Oh, my parents have been involved in the civil rights movement since the 60s. We, you know, what white exceptionalism speaks to is that you somehow feel that your personal story and your personal narrative makes you the exception to the rules of white supremacy and that we don't think that it's influenced or impacted us. So basically the inner self-image would be, I am not a racist. And yay for you, okay, yay for you. But the truth is, it's just not true. White exceptionalism is a form of white supremacy. And it's one that I think we get gold stars in 3HO Kundalini Yoga. There are so many ways in which white exceptionalism is showing up and that I'm able to start seeing it now. Where even a year ago, at the start of 2020, I wasn't able to feel or see the white exceptionalism nearly as much as I'm able to see it now and feel it now and witness it now. So so much of the work of white supremacy and so much of the work that each of us have to do to heal from the predatory abuse of what we've experienced in 3HO Kundalini Yoga is to begin to see through a new set of eyes. We have to learn to ask different questions. We have to be willing to pierce our own veil of experience because what we've been taught something is may not be what it actually is. It's just what we've been taught. And it's what we've been able to cling to as a means of our own survival biology in order to function. And so the more stories we hear, the more you come out and share your own experience. You realize this isn't a hierarchy of abuse stories. Every single one of us have love stories and abuse stories that are commingled in this community. And it makes it that, that much more complicated to figure out what actually happened and to see what's actually in plain sight because the wound is mingled in with the longing and the unmet needs. And we created scar tissue that helped us survive. And each of us have very, very unique, amazing amounts of scar tissue that keeps us resilient keeps us traveling, keeps us serving and helping and giving to other people um, and not actually examining the interior to feel what's happening in, in the foundation and the, the loins and the roots of our own sense of identity. So with that said, I want to play a quick clip on white exceptionalism so that we can hear what it is and that I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the ways I've, I've noticed white exceptionalism really playing the gong loud, loud, loud um, 
through some of the meetings and the different conversations I've been having within the 3HO community. And um, perhaps it'll help you to pierce your own veil. So I'm going to go ahead and <clears throat> let's see if I can share my screen here and get a little audio. Day six, you and white exceptionalism. White people desperately want to believe that only the lonely, isolated, whites-only club members are racist. This is why the word racist offends nice white people so deeply. It challenges their self-identification as good people. Sadly, most white people are more worried about being called racist and about whether or not their actions are in fact racist or harmful. Austin Channing Brown So we're more concerned with being perceived or being called a racist than whether our actions, our thoughts, our words, and our behaviors are actually racist. And this is not unique to 3HO, um, although we've amplified it with a spiritual persona to the nth degree and on steroids. Um, but in general, as white people, we do this, right? We, we desperately want to cling to the idea that we're not racist. And so we don't know how to have conversations about whether we actually are. And we just avoid it altogether. Because as white people, we don't have the thick skin, we don't have any skin really to address racial topics without feeling fragile. Because we haven't had to move through the world with race being the forefront of our existence. We've, that's a part of our privilege. So the power of being able to really crack your own code or your own veil of illusion of the way that you identify yourself and being willing to actually see the ways in which you remove yourself from very hard topics around race and privilege. So I think that this is amplified within the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community, this idea of being good white people, okay? We have the persona of being the holy people, the somewhat of the chosen ones, right? The special path, the special technology. We have the special wisdom that's going to change humanity. Folks, this is still being taught in Kundalini Yoga teacher training right now. And I remember taking teacher training and I'd be wearing all black and, and Krishnakar would, you know, say stuff about this, but, you know, I wasn't interested in being a teacher. So I didn't care for any of those rules. I was taking teacher training for my own well-being at the time. And I just remember being so fascinated by the imposing of certain rules around having to cover your head, having to take an oath at the end of training saying that you won't eat meat and you won't do this and you won't do that. And I'm just thinking, why are, why are people, why are, why are they siphoning people into a seeky path? It just didn't make any sense to me. Um, but the, the exceptionalism and this is later in the book, that we don't see color. And I think this is a huge foundational teaching that's very much rooted in our identity as other 
and this all-inclusive sense of we welcome everyone. But we don't, folks. We play that in our words and our verbiage and in the Aquarian concepts, but we don't. We've been homophobic historically only in the last couple of months. Has there even been a change to allow LGBTQ to get married in our community, in the Gurdwaras? Um, there's so much blatant racism to the few Black and brown bodies and families that have been in our community, much less the overt, direct, abusive racism and predatory um, attack on Black men in our culture specifically and in our communities. I know there was a story about that in Española. Hopefully that'll come out here soon. We're talking about horrible, horrible roots of racism that is wrapped up in a spiritual bow tie called enlightenment. And we can have left the community decades ago, like me, and we still hold a sense of specialness, exceptionalism. Ask yourself how you identify. One of the challenges, right, of cutting our hair or taking off our turban or doing all the different things is that we no longer have this kind of external persona of special. And for those of us that have kept our names, our names automatically identify us as something special. So to change it, right, it's a part of telling the story, right, the history of where we come from. There's nothing wrong with, you know, having a story of where we come from. The question is, are we willing to actually see ourselves clearly? Or are we telling a narrative? Are we living an illusional narrative that propagates our own identity that was pushed, right? A pushed identity. So, yeah, asking myself some of these questions really broke me wide open. And... The exceptionalism shows up as a form of talking about how loving and compassionate our community is. I hear this a lot. There's like a nostalgia of how loving and supportive and heart-centered, this compassionate community that we have and that we come from. And my narrative for most of my life was that. In honesty, I mean, I, I really, really, really believed that my upbringing was compassionate and loving atmosphere of community. But the reason that I felt that is because my upbringing had plenty of good things to it and plenty of not such good things. And what I've learned about survival trauma is our bodies, our minds, our system is going to preserve us first and foremost. So we're going to create whatever is needed to be able to survive our circumstances and find the good in it best. And if we got trained in anything as kids of this Dharma, it's 
we got trained in resilience. We got trained to keep up, overcome, and find the good. And I feel like as a generation of children from this community, we as a whole have seen the good in things, right? Taken the good and washed out the bad, and that that's been a part of the narrative story that has created the identities that we hold. To see the good in things, instead of to see what was actually happening. So the more trauma-informed I get, the more I read about complex PTSD, the more therapy, actual mental health therapy I've been getting over the last couple of years, the more I'm able to actually see situations as not positive, as not healthy, as not loving, as not compassionate, but instead as abusive, as predatory, as illusory, as false as lies, as deceit, as abuse. The power of calling something what it is, is a part of our healing. And a part of what we got in training of 3HO is to not call things what they are, to use fluffy language to talk around things, to even talk nonsense around things because YB did that for decades and he washed the adults' minds with this kind of word salad, spiritual talk. And so a good yoga teacher gets up on the stage and does all this hubba blah, 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 word salad talk and then delivers a powerful Kriya and somehow he's a spiritual God, right? And that this is a part of the formula of the big external projection, the persona that we carry out outwardly versus the inner hurting children that are dying inside from neglect and hunger and abuse. So piercing our veils of exceptionalism is a part of seeing what's in plain sight. It's a part of seeing abuse for what it is and to stop fluffing over the abuse to call it something else. We don't have to keep naming the good of our upbringing. We need to start naming the not good because we've had 50 years of naming all the good stuff, of uplifting the bright light of it all. And it's time that we stop fooling ourselves and really start looking at this stuff for what it is because it's the work of white supremacy within a spiritual context of 3HO. We are propagating white supremacy on amplified steroids through apathy, through silence, through exceptionalism. So this idea of us being such a compassionate culture, we had this um, beautiful Zoom call a couple of months ago where a couple of the women who were directly abused by YB uh, the predator came out. I knew, I knew two of them, um, beautiful couple who have been long time, amazing humans in my life since I was young and, you know, how their lives were destroyed and kept from each other and, um, you know, not allowed to be lovers. And then how, anyway, it was just, it was so horrible. I'm not going to repeat their story because it's their story to tell. But on this call, it was so beautiful to hear directly from women who are abused from YB. 
for those of you that were on the call, there were people that were very much in the Dharma, as well as those of us out all on this call. And it was very powerful and beautiful. Um, and towards the end of it, I experienced a sense of uh, white exceptionalism shining through as kind of the epitome of what our community stands on. And my experience of it was this. This is the language. If we can't get through this as a community with as compassionate and heart-centered as we are, then no one can do it. That's literally what's said. If we can't do this as a community, then no one can do it. And I had to land this in my body for a while and sit on it. And back in 2020, when we first started having Zoom calls, I was very much in the nostalgia of that statement. That statement created nostalgia in me. It was like, oh, my God, we are the people, the people of love. Let us people love today. Right. All these like, oh, God and me, me and God are one. All these beautiful, compassionate, loving chants that our community stands on, all the loving hippie musicians that gave up their career to become yoga teachers, and then all the amazing musicians that flooded our community because of that, and all this kind of like hippie nostalgia love, and I was able to just see it. Like, that is not a true statement. I'm going to say it again. If we can't get through this as a community, then nobody can. What that statement is basically saying is it's amplifying our community into a category of special, compassionate, heart-centered folks, more than anywhere else in the world, that we are so special that if we can't get through this type of tumultuous, abusive revelations that's happened within our own community in plain sight that people have chosen to ignore, then no one can. And I'm just going to go ahead and pierce that veil of illusion and just say Black and Indigenous people have been doing this for centuries. They've been being raped, maimed, abused. Their culture has been taken. Their people have been taken. Their babies have been taken. Their land has been taken. Their, their traditions, their language, their gods, everything Every sense of their identity, their families have been robbed, stolen, appropriated, co-opted, stolen and called something else, sexual rape, all the abuse. And you want to know what? Black and indigenous people are still here and they're still doing it. And they're still focused on speaking out the truth and is nothing special about us. If anything, we are amplifying supremacy and exceptionalism with language like that. So I want to say to all of you that I love you. I appreciate your willingness to listen to this podcast and even have your, your own illusions pierced. And I wonder what's going on for you. Are you letting your identity be unraveled? And in what way are you asking yourself better questions? So, yeah, that's where I've been. And I want to move on to a more fun topic, although none of this is fun. 
we're going to talk about bangs because if you haven't noticed, I have some. And for those of you that are listening and you can't see me, I got myself some bangs, cut myself some bangs. Well, I didn't cut myself. Believe me, I didn't cut myself. But we're going to, yeah, move on a little bit now to say, what do you remember or know as to the reason we didn't have bangs? You remember the teaching on no bangs? The no bangs teaching? So it's funny because in this last few months of questioning my identity, I had the awareness that I cut my hair years ago when I was in my 20s. And I've always had a tremendous fear about cutting my hair. I've always had issues communicating what I want with my hair, like so much fear. When I tell you paralyzing fear comes up in me when I think about cutting my hair, it's still there. It is still very, very hard for me to think about going to a hairstylist. But I cut my hair in my 20s, you know? I'm thinking I was over that. But what I realized in the last couple of months is I've never, ever, 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 ever once in my life considered cutting bangs. And it's so funny to me how indoctrination works. To me, this is why we have to learn to ask ourselves better questions because indoctrination holds us in a belief, holds us in a thinking, even if we're unaware of that thinking. Indoctrination holds us in illusions of exceptionalism or specialness until we're willing to break and crack our own code of the way that we've chosen to view and, and be in the world. So I'm, I'm realizing like, holy crap, I cut my hair years ago. And yeah, I know I still kind of go through issues when I have to go get my hair cut again, but I don't get my hair cut very often. And I found a hair hairstylist that I literally like will travel very far to because I trust and love her so much. But it does go to show how much fear is in my body around just going to the average hair person. Now, bangs were another level though, because I was like, oh my God. And so whether I knew it or not, inside of me was a belief system that believed whatever fucking mind fuck of a teaching of no, of no bangs. I couldn't even remember what that teaching was because half the shit that I remember isn't stuff I remember. It's just stuff I, I absorbed through osmosis. And it's only as I hear the thing out loud that I'm like, oh, now, now I understand that. So I started questioning this bangs. And of course, I want to know why. Why were we told? So if you're listening to this, do you know what the 3HO, why be the predator teaching is on not to have bangs? If you do, if you remember a version, put it in the comments. I want you to go to the podcast platform that you use and make a comment on what you remember as the no bang theory for why be the predator and why so many, this is an observance, so, 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 so many people who left the Dharma still never got a hairstyle, still have kind of long hippie-ish hair, no bangs, right? Pulls their hair back in a bun. Just saying, just an observation, just noticing. I know for me, I had, I had an anti-bang internal belief system that I didn't know why. 
I've held plenty of internal belief systems, especially around my belief around the power of Kundalini yoga and really thinking that it was a special science, you know, that narrative propagated my life for most of my life. And so to have that illusion be pierced is so refreshing. It's so refreshing because it's allowing me to actually see clearly instead of through the illusion that propagates a false identity. So remember, our illusions support us because our identity supports us until it doesn't, until we're willing to start seeing ourselves for who we are instead of what we've been trained to be. All right, back to the bangs. Why do we not have bangs? Anyways, should I show you my cute hair? Those of you listening, you're going to have to go look at my video and, and see my cute hair soon. So anyways, I'm feeling very stylish, very much alive and very much more of me than I've ever felt. So this work of uh, cracking our illusions and cracking our own supremacy identity, um, it's hard. It's very, very hard. But at the same time, it's very freeing. It, it frees up so much space when the real you can emerge from underneath the rubble. So why no bangs? I had no idea why no bangs. I didn't really remember. Um, so anyway, of course, I called Guru Darshan because she remembers all sorts of things. If you don't know her, she's the artist. Uh, and she's quite vocal about a lot of the abuse in our community. She was also born into the community. Anyway, so I call my girlfriend, Guru Darshan. Let's see if I can get this up. So she's like, it's that when you cut the bangs, they cover your third eye. The teaching is that when Genghis Khan wanted to take over whatever group of people he was conquering, that he would cut the women's hair into bangs, and it took their superpowers away of seeing clearly. Well, bitches, my superpowers of seeing clearly are very much in full effect, and I got bangs, so I'm just letting you know that's a lie. He went on to say that it makes you subservient. So yeah, you don't get bangs because it makes us not have clear intuition and it would make us subservient. Meanwhile, this MF is, you know, subjugating our women and grooming our children and having them cut all sorts of things on their bodies and giving us these made up teachings, um, that, you know, crystallize our sense of identity and, and make us live a life of fear and, and not doing the very simple forms of expression that might make us feel good. I've never, ever identified with cutting my hair to change my mood. I've never identified at, with it. It just wasn't a part of the cultural upbringing we had because cutting our hair wasn't a part of the aesthetic beauty of our sense of self. And so to allow myself to have style, to allow myself to stand out, to allow myself to do whatever the fuck I want, to feel something I want and to have it, to stop denying myself pleasure, joy, sleeping in, a hot bath, a glass of wine, any of these things. Now, believe me, for years, I've done all these things in my own sense of rebellion 
and I've tried and, and, but I didn't understand what doing these things really, really mean when we're healing from complex trauma. Making new choices from a effervescent part of our inner sense of self is one of the most powerful neuro rewiring patterns you'll ever do to choose you over your indoctrination and to notice the indoctrination in that choice, to feel the fear, to do it anyway, to ask for support, to feel the emotions after you go through it. It's a process. I've been cutting my hair for 20 years and I still get highly, highly volatile emotions that show up in that process. And it's emotional. And that is not a stupid thing. It's a powerful thing. Because having teachings, having a sense of identity that's rooted in white supremacy and false knowledge in which we get a sense of, I am wrong if I choose me. It's, it's convoluted and to break these things apart. Now, I realize some of you listening, cutting your hair may not be a big deal. It might be something else for you. You know, it might be another teaching. It might be something else. It might be starting to examine yourself um, as, as, as a white supremacist in a way that you've never been willing to. I, I don't know what it is for you. What I know is that there are so many aspects of our lives that were controlled and um, a, a mythology or a story was given to support and upend that sense of reasoning of why we have to do it, that to make new choices in a new way, even to make a choice like getting therapy, this is hard as shit. And you might not know it, but in our culture, we didn't grow up with any sense of okayness with mental health or therapy. It's taken me a very, very long time to admit that, but I very, very much have never been an advocate of, of therapy. And yet I wouldn't have believed that about myself. I think I've always thought I was an advocate of therapy, but I didn't get any myself, you know? I mean, I did lots of body work therapy, but I didn't actually like start examining my mental, my mental state. But up until this past year, I wouldn't have known I had complex PTSD either. And I wouldn't have known that all of the adults in our upbringing had complex PTSD my whole life and that all of the children had complex PTSD and have, have a long history of abandonment and neglect that they hold in their bodies. I didn't know so many of our children had been abused um, you know, physically, sexually, and, and mentally and emotionally when they were in India. Um, you know, there's just, there's so much that has been covered over and masked with a white turban and a white chuni and white chitty does that it's just time to strip down, get naked and get clear with yourself and start asking yourself different questions and ask, being willing to see yourself differently. So that's where I stepped forward and I said, I'm getting some bangs. I'm letting all my ages of my children out to play, the parts of me that have been frozen and stuck inside for a long time. And I perfected disassociation 
and being able to escape and leave myself without being able to feel what I need. And I've learned now that this is a part of the most profound trauma pattern of caring for others in my environment while neglecting myself was the essence of my survival. So I'm in a state of learning to care for myself and to turn that love inward to me, to turn that attention inward to me, to turn that adoration inward to me, to turn that service inward to me, to turn my bright light inward to me, and to let myself feel my compassionate heart, to not give it away in order to get a sense of value. Because if I've learned anything from the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community, it's that my value was only in helping others. It wasn't in being myself. And yet the teachings were perpetuating the exact opposite. Be you, and yet you're not allowed to be you. Shine bright, but you're not allowed to. And everything was hiding what was in plain sight. And to me, this is what makes it classic white supremacy. When you really start getting into this material and start looking at white supremacy for what it is, we can really start seeing Kundalini Yoga and 3HO community as the classic propagations of white supremacy in a spiritual white bow tie called enlightenment. And this is the illusion that we need to collectively stop participating in. So I have been working on many different identities, shedding old identities, especially this teacher identity, this teacher identity that makes me feel like I have to teach and give you something when really I don't have to do that at all. I can just be me. And my sense of value is me being me, not how much I show up, not how many classes I teach, not how many people I help, not how much I impact, not how much I serve the world, just being me, just being me in all my wild expression and glory of myself. And you want to judge that? You are welcome to. You have an opinion about the way I should do it differently? You're welcome to. But do me a favor. Don't come in my DMs and give me your unsolicited opinion. Because I could give a fuck of your unsolicited opinion. 3HO is known for unsolicited opinions. Adults and wise men and women all day long coming up, giving their unsolicited opinion about how we're dressed, how we look, what we say, what we listen to, what we eat. You know what? Keep it. Keep it and start identifying yourself as the white supremacist that you are because of your influence and involvement in 3HO Kundalini Yoga community to stop the false perpetuation of the yoga of awareness as some sort of higher consciousness or some sort of special way through into the subconscious mind when really it's an overtraining of, of ways to disassociate out of ourselves. So I would love to hear your experience. <clears throat> And I'm sharing with you mine. Thank you for listening. I once again want to encourage you to get the book, Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad, so we can collectively begin to go through the layers and levels of illusory, illusory identity that we all hold because of our time 
and upbringing in 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I would also like to remind you that I am taking guests on this podcast. I haven't had any guests come forward and I don't actively seek and, and reach out to find guests but I want you to know that you're safe here and that your story really does matter. So if you know someone that has a story and they don't know about the podcast, please put them in touch with me at gn at gurunishan.com. If you have a story, especially among the second generation, I'm really putting a call out to the second generation to come out and steer your stories. There is so much pain in the second generation. There is so much confusion. Um, there have been so many people suffering for so many years, and the suffering has been in silence because we haven't had public spaces to put this out in the open. Um, some of our second generation have been doing group therapy, and of thousands and thousands of us, there's like 10 of us that have come forward to do this group therapy. And it's been profound. The last number of weeks for me has been tremendously profound and being able to feel and see myself in the eyes and experiences of other kids growing up in the community, the things we suffer from that are similar, like digestive issues and anxiety and eating and trusting and a bazillion other things. The fact that we see ourselves in each other is is. Um, really displaying what environmental and institutional and spiritual abuse is all about. Institutional and environmental abuse means we absorbed it through the culture. It didn't have to happen to you because it happened all around you. You got marinated in it. So when you're marinated in something, you know no different. And that's what makes it extra challenging to see yourself clearly beyond the identity that you've been fed. Because who are you beyond what you've experienced? I'm very proud to be a worldly, traveling, cultured person, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I'm actually a Caucasian white woman, cisgendered, that uh, has a voice. And I can use this voice to talk about very uncomfortable conversations and topics that, frankly, a lot of white people don't want to talk about. So I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that privilege. I'm going to use my voice. And I'm going to encourage you to pierce your own veil of experience and existence and identity to start seeing yourself more clearly. So I welcome you onto the podcast. Please reach out to me at gn at gurunishan.com. I also want to say that if you do reach out to me on the podcast, <clears throat> I don't really vet your story. I just trust that you have a story to tell because I'm not here to vet somebody's story. I'm here to just let people share their stories. But with that being said, if you're a yoga teacher and you're still teaching kundalini yoga and you have pictures on your Instagram feed of people like Guru Jagat from the Rama group who recently passed away, who was a total cult denier, victim shaver, and abuser herself. I'm not very excited to have you come on the podcast because it basically tells me that you're still perpetuating illusions and yet you don't see that yourself because you're propping up teachers that are abusers and yet you think you are in tune with the conversations of truth-telling. Hey, I don't care what you do. Do whatever you want. I'm just saying having you on this platform doesn't get me excited because it makes me feel like you're confused about what it is that you're teaching. That's all I'm saying. 
So I want all stories. It doesn't need to be just this type of story, that type of story. It's called 3HO stories, right? The untold stories of 3HO. Your experience matters. Your lived reality matters. And whether or not you know it, just telling your story is going to reveal so much to so many people that might be locked up in their own heart, in their own mind, and in their own loins, and in their own confusion about who they are, and whether or not they're worthy to, to be here. And I think that's what makes spiritual abuse and the abuse that we've experienced in 3HO that much more sick, is it's not just sexual or physical or emotional abuse, but spiritual abuse takes spiritual teachings and manipulates them against us. And that is a very, very confusing thing in the formation of our own sense of self and identity and sense of worth and essentially our sense of value. So if you're struggling here, I want you to know I love you. I appreciate you. I see you. And I hold you in the vulnerable space of learning to come out loud in sharing your experience. So there's far more on these topics. I just wanted to break the silence of my own silence um, and share with you what's been going on. I've been in a very, very deep healing space, proud of myself for going there and more proud of myself for emerging. On that note, I have some ex uh, exciting new reveals coming forward, including a spoken word burlesque uh, one woman show that I'm doing here live in Chicago and live streaming worldwide. So please make sure to <clears throat> stay connected with me at gurunishan.com. And I'll be releasing tickets for that later this week. Um, but essentially, this is my art. I'm coming forward in my words, in my movement, in my music to express the disgust and disdain and rage and anger and joy and reclamation and pleasure that I have gone through in the last eight years to reclaim myself from the rubble of spiritual and sexual abuse from being raised in the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. The struggle that I've gone through to pierce my own false views of myself, my own false veils of myself, my own false identities, to reclaim myself from the deep levels of victimization of what it means to grow up in a state of neglect and abandonment as a normal and all that love. I've been pulling myself out of this convolution for years and it's coming out into a full bodied expression, words, dance and movement. And I just would love for you to witness me here. So stay tuned. You can get on my mailing list at gurunishan.com if you'd like to get an update. Um, otherwise just check out my website and the, uh, the tickets will be released this week. On that note, <clears throat> I'm excited for truth-telling and for this reveal. This is the precursor to my book coming out next year, where more stories will be told. But for now, I want to share with you the song that I've chosen. This song has really um, helped my healing process over the last couple of months. Because one of the things I've discovered, and it probably is true for you, 
that the the deepest wound that I've had to tend to is the self-abuse that I've internalized. When you grow up with so much neglect and abuse, and you don't call it neglect or abuse, you call it enlightenment and love and spirituality, I couldn't recognize sensations in my body of neglect or abandonment or hunger because I became so normalized to overcoming those sensations and to not need anything. And so the level of self-abuse and internalized tyranny that I've had to be unwinding has made me really, really sad. And it means that there's just little parts of me inside that have been so frozen, so frozen over with my strong muscles and my bright light and my strong back and in hours, hours and hours and hours worth of white tantric and my ability to not move in all the ways that I've perfected, the ability to move through the world in loving goodness beneath all of that projection was just a scared little girl inside. Hungry. Starving for attention. And the voice I heard inside was so mean. Just mean, like, overcome it. You can get over it, you know? Keep up. I mean, it was just all these non-attentive ways of being that pushed me beyond my boundaries. And I've lived here. I've lived in a state of being outside of my own boundaries, outside of my own body, outside of my own being. And if I do so to so myself, I've done a pretty fucking damn good job at it. But no more, because I get to have myself too. I'm not going to give myself away to others when I don't even get a, myself included. So I've had to recognize the meanness inside, the abuse, the verbal and physical abuse that I give to myself through unconscious neglect. And what I've learned in therapy is called frozen needs. And to have my needs begin to melt, to have these, have that frozenness melt and to start to feel my own needs and realize that it's perfectly okay for me to have needs and that I can have them and I can fulfill them. And this is the part of the healing journey, folks. I don't know what, what stage you're in, but love yourself wherever you are. Wrap your arms around you and feel me hugging you. And know that you are so, so, so worthy of dropping the illusions of the false identity we come from and the claiming of yourself in a very powerful and bold way. And we are here to support you in that process. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to go ahead and share with you my chosen song for today. Because it's beautiful. Here we go. It's gonna take a lot of heart to stop the bleeding 
take off our artful cloaks and drape the sand. Remember, we're all feeble feeling, despite our better judgment in the end. But we can choose to make the rules as history laments and preaches for every day that I'm a fool there's a day that teaches no Well, that was my song. That was by, it's called No Meanness by Madeline Perrault. Whew, that brings me to tears. No meanness, no judgment, no envy, no shame. We grew up in a culture with tremendous amount of judgment and shame. And yet pretending that those things weren't happening, that we were this judge-free zone, love sees no color community. And to start seeing the white supremacy of this, to start calling it out in ourselves and in others, in our community, in the yoga spaces, um, you know, yoga culture and white supremacy is a serious issue right now, not just in our community, but all over the world. And um, we have to do our own work of dismantling this within this community and calling it what it is, because I don't care if you've been gone for 20, 30, 40 years, you're still carrying some identity that's very much rooted in white supremacy because of this upbringing of love sees no color, all, all are one, and just all of the stuff that's wrapped up in this. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you for being willing to do your work to dismantle your own story and to come forward and share. I look forward to hearing from you and I'll be back with you next week with more stories. In addition, once again, I'm not even going to say that. I'm going to come up with you, come back with a story next week of a wise old man, wise man. He's a pillar of our community of 3HO, and he ends up in my DMs. And he's just, anyway, I'm not even going to go on to on this topic, but stay tuned because I'm going to do that for the next episode. It's going to be an example of what grooming looks like. Okay, what spiritual sexual grooming looks like within the context of 3HO from somebody who's actively in 3HO, and I don't even think he knows what he's doing. That's how predatory it is. Um, so I'm going to read the DMs and I'm going to explain why this is grooming. And for those of you listening, once again, don't come in my DMs with 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 stuff. Come there with something clear and with a request to be on the podcast. Otherwise, don't come into my DMs, okay? Let me have my privacy. Keep your opinions and your judgments to yourself. 
unsolicited opinions are not welcome. I didn't ask you. And somehow plenty of people from 3HO love to spew their opinions unsolicited. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And um, if you would like to donate to the podcast, please do so. Um, head on over to my website at gn at gurunishan.com. There is a link to support the podcast and you can make a one-time or monthly donation. And if you'd like to be a guest on today's on, on the podcast, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today and I'll talk to you again next week.